Hothade, welcome to the Guam Guy Show. <laughs> I lost track of what our episode count is, but our topic this time is on marine preserves. As you can see, we have a really cool location uh, to shoot this recording. We are inside the Fish Eye um, Observatory, underwater observatory. So I'm guessing we're like 20 feet deep or something underwater mm -hmm. right now, as you can see outside from the windows. A uh, huge thanks to our host, um, Fish Eye uh, Park, and and you know something I, I learned kind of recently about them is something that's really cool is every year you know before the pandemic we had the international coastal cleanup and if I'm not mistaken they would allow participants uh, you know if they wear their international coastal cleanup shirt to uh, come on down and have free entry and I just think that's a really cool nice lovely thing of them to do to thank the people who come out in the thousands to do the international coastal cleanup and uh, I think it's a beautiful thing. Is, does that sound right to you? Yeah, uh, Tim? they did that. Yeah, they always yeah. do that. Yeah. Okay, cool. That's my friend Rust outside the window. <laughs> hey, Rust. <laughs> He's there with his little parachute toy. Um, so uh, yeah, I am joined today uh, with a few guests. We have uh, Tim Rock, kind of legendary uh, photographer and diving figure in the in the Pacific and abroad, or, or mostly the Pacific. Mainly Oceania. Yeah. Oceania. Yeah. Okay, cool. So um, we're inside a marine preserve. Our topic today is marine preserves. Um, fish eye is um, one of them, or the PE bomb holes, which is a misnomer, but we can talk about that later, is one of the marine preserves. And if I'm not mistaken, uh, you've written books about marine preserves. Oh, that, there's, there's one right there. And, and here's one now. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, we've uh, done quite a few books uh, over the years. Okay. Um, and the main reason for it uh, was basically because nobody really seemed to understand why the marine preserves were important. Mm -hmm. And I said, well, if you don't show them pictures or something, you know, it just becomes words. You know, one guy saying it's important, the other isn't. So I thought I'd just put a book together and show the diversity. And it started off as kind of a small project. And the next thing I knew, I had like a 220-page book that then expanded another edition to 240 pages. And uh, then we did a third edition. Now we're working on a fourth one, so every few years we get together and uh, go over different slides and photos and see what we found new in the marine preserves, and uh, it's really incredibly diverse here. You see things here that some people travel only to Indonesia or the Philippines for, but we have them right here in Guam's little preserves, you know, so... Mm. Yeah. I, I think. I, uh, oh, yeah, it's called Hidden Treasures. I was about to say, uh, we have a lot of gems here that a lot of people don't know about, like lifetime locals included. And uh, we'll, we'll come back uh, We'll come back to that. I would certainly love to talk about that some more. By the way, like I said, we're underwater inside the Fisheye um, Observatory, so there are people around. So if you hear some background sound, that's what it is. This is a live recording. <laughs> so uh, don't mind the kids screaming or people enjoying themselves. That's what it's here for, people for them to appreciate our underwater world and um, especially right here in Guam. Um, also joined with Cheyenne, am I saying that right? Yeah. Officer uh, Cheyenne, a conservation <laughs> officer um, with uh, the Department of Agriculture. What's the division called? Uh, law enforcement. Just a little closer to the mic, please. Oh, uh, law enforcement. The law enforcement Conservation, division? yes. Okay, cool. May I, how long have you have you been with them? Are you kind of new? Or? Yeah, I'm uh, new. I just came back. I was there um, 2011 to 13, and I left, and then came back again. So. Okay, really cool. So I have a... We, I'm, I'm really excited to have your take on the law enforcement aspects of, of, um, of protecting our marine preserves. They don't protect themselves, right? Uh, hopefully they would and people respect it, but that's not always the case. Um, so yeah, we'll circle around back to that. And of course, last but not least, uh, Brent Tibbetts, 
um, legend himself in the uh, conservation world, um, biologist with the Division of Aquatic and Wildlife Resources, also yes. at DAR. Yeah. Is that correct? Yeah. And I heard a funny thing about you, and uh, <laughs> maybe I should have asked you earlier. Yeah. Do you have some kind of strange competition with somebody about making unusual... Um, uh, what are those called? Che- cheesecakes or? I don't have a competition, but I, <laughs> people ask for people ask for weird ones sometimes, and I see if I can make them. But I'm not competing with anybody. Yeah. Oh, okay. I thought, yeah. I thought it was a competition of no, some kind. No. Did you make like a Balazzi cheesecake? No, I was asked to, but I haven't made it yet. <laughs> yeah, so, but I will. You will. <laughs> I will. That sounds horrible. What's yeah, the what's the what's the weirdest cheesecake you've made? Uh, I've made one with doni with hot pepper. Okay. It's turned wow. out pretty good. I made a durian one earlier this year, which turned out pretty good actually. Mm-hmm. Um, I have avocado, uh, pumpkin. Okay. Uh, jackfruit. All respect and love, bro. Yeah. But like, I've been with you when you were like performing a necropsy on a dolphin, and it doesn't seem to phase you. So I don't know if I can trust your sense of taste. Well, <laughs> I, I generally don't eat them. I give them to other people, and I wait. I wait for their opinion if it's uh, if it's worthy or not. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. And all, uh, all the feedback comes back good. Yeah. Okay. That's yeah. cool. I'd like to try something yeah, one day. Actually, my, maybe I wouldn't. Choice. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, um, so yeah, while, while we have you, I guess maybe you, um, you could define what a marine preserve even is. So it's obviously just not the regular, we have tons of reef around the island, um, maybe not as much compared to other islands and other places, but there's just these special sections of the reef that, uh, and I guess a little beyond, that we decide to call um, a marine protected area. So what is, what is a marine protected area? Yeah. Well, the one thing is marine protected areas and marine preserves are kind of two different names for the same thing. And the law that created them calls them marine preserves, but it's more common now to call them marine protected areas or MPAs. So I'm going to use MPA while I'm talking today, but that's what I'm talking about, is is an area with some sort of protection. Um, Marine preserve is an area where there is some sort of regulation on what kind of activities can occur in it. Can be fishing activities, can be non-fishing activities. there are many different types of MPAs. There are uh, seasonal MPAs. There are MPAs where there's restrictions on sizes of fish that can be taken or species of fish that can be taken or just flat out nothing can be taken. Uh, there's a variety of ways. And MPAs are something actually that has been, is a very traditional form of management. MPAs in some form have been used in the Pacific for thousands of years. Mm-hmm. Uh, they have different names depending on the islands you're on. Boo is in Palau. A, a, a chief will put a boo on an area where you cannot fish or collect anything for a while. And MPA is the Western term, but the idea is the same, and and, and the results hopefully are the same as well. And in, in, in Chuuk, I know they have some kind of spatial like designating an area where no one's allowed to fish or or some kind of control. It's called mechen. And I believe it's associated with somebody who passes away. They put some coconut leaf, uh, co- like coconut leaves, out on the reef, and it's sticking out on the water. And that's to tell people not to uh, not to come uh, not to come and fish in their territory. In Yap, I don't know if this is true. This is something I've heard. Um, <laughs> Vic, oh, you're, you're, you're plowing, but I don't know if you've, maybe you've heard of this before. But um, in Yap. If you're caught fishing in somebody else's water, they'll confiscate your gear. Um, the village can confiscate your gear, not even necessary law enforcement, the village, villagers themselves. And for a repeat offense or egregious offenses, they, I've heard they can take a hand. Like, Have you heard of this before? Wow. I haven't. <laughs> that would discourage repeat offenders. That might be a little sure. Sure. Yeah. Vic, have you heard that before? Yeah? Okay, all right, so it's not just me. <laughs> 
Um, so, do, do we? Do, yeah, that is a pretty extreme thing. But well, you the, know, the land ownership in Yap starts on the shore and goes all the way to the outer reef, as far so, as you can see. As far yeah. as you can see, right? Yeah. So, wow. So if you don't want to cross anybody, you stay in front of your house and go fishing. <laughs> yeah. So, man, I, I would be. I, I would be really cool to know if um, if we. What Chamorro has had, like, did, what was our version of an MPA or a marine preserve, and and what was enforcement like, and what was the control of it like? Um, that said, uh, we don't have any traditional um, things now. Uh, we lost our chiefs, I guess, all a couple of hundred years ago, or, or maybe the last one died out um, sooner. But um, so we have a, a Western system now of governance, and uh, we have a Western system of control. It'd be nice if we could also have some indigenous form of control or make that synonymous. But uh, we got what we got, and uh, I'm glad we do have it. Um, so that said, we have uh, five marine preserves. Uh, all right, Tim, quizzing you. I've actually always thought. Oh, uh, you know, I'm not sure if it's still there, but for many years there was a huge giant clamshell at the marine uh, lab at mm-hmm. UOG, and that uh, the giant clams were fished out before the Spanish even got here. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, Palauans have a thing called bull, like you say, the Yapis have a certain uh, uh, traditional way of policing the reefs. I got stuck on an island called Untung Java and the Solomons for two months and uh, noticed that they have certain traditions and permissions that they need to get. I just think it'd be impossible for the Chamorros to not have noticed that all the giant clams were gone mm-hmm. and establish some sort of rule for smaller clams or something like that. I mean, there just had to be a traditional thing back in the early Chamorro days, you know. And so I think it probably existed. We just don't know about it. Would be my guess. But you know, if something was gone before even the Spanish got here, uh, then you know that they probably were watching their resources and figuring things out, just the way all the other islands did. It would be unusual for Guam to have not had a traditional way of protecting their resources. So I yeah. think it's always been here. You know what I mean? Yeah, I I had like a fossilized. Um, giant clamshell like in my backyard just when like my my land was carved out of like a big hill it was grazed I think is that that's the term where they like leveled some land and there was something that looked maybe I'm wrong but it really really looked like a giant clamshell and so I, I wonder if that's what it was from maybe I don't know thousands of years ago if it would still maintain yeah it could still maintain some shape in you know Marble Cave and other caves you could still recognize some you know, cal- calcium type structures with uh, either, you know, algae or coral or whatever it would have been thousands or millions of years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, um, so, yeah, uh, fast forward today, we have uh, five um, marine preserves. Um, pick one. <laughs> Tim. Uh, well, my favorite's PD, actually. But <laughs> I think you're slightly biased, but I. I <laughs> yeah, well, I, I'm out, I'm out here a lot. Reason, right? But with good reason. Okay. <laughs> but I'm out here a lot, so I get to know some of the critters and get to see what's going on, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, that, that kind of really helps to see. Uh, uh, you know, like I know where one little turtle sleeps, and I go over and check him just to make sure he's okay when I'm out here snorkeling around and that kind of thing. You really get kind of attached to some of them. But I also used to live above the Hilton in the old GMH housing, mm-hmm. which is now a Chamorro Land Trust property, I think. So uh, it was very easy for me every morning to go snorkeling in Tumon. So I have kind of a double double love for the two, I guess you call them the popular mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, the marine, most frequented. marine preserves. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
So the uh, is is this the official name? The Petey Bombholes Preserve is that is that an official name? I think that's the name yeah. that's in the law. Yes. Okay, yeah. which is interesting. <clears throat> um, locals we we call them bombholes because. Um, and I grew up with this story, like during the war, some bombs were dropped and it just made these big um, uh, craters, these holes on the reef, which is, to my best of my new knowledge, is incorrect. So they are just, they're just normal natural sinkholes. So if you think about like Poggit Arch, right? So that used to have a, um, that used to not be an arch, it used to be a cave and then part of it fell down. And so that's what happened here, except either the sea level was way lower or the land was higher. I don't know if that sea level rise or fall or tectonic plate movement, but basically this, all of the, uh, that, it used to be out of the water. Um, it used to be underwater for it to, to actually grow the coral, and then it had to be underwater, I'm sorry, out of the water for the, uh, for the sinkholes to form. Am I making sense? And is that correct? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Somewhat, yeah. It's, maybe a, a better analogy would be like Lost Pond, which is a sinkhole in limestone, mm-hmm. which is sometimes has been submerged in the past and well is, is uplifted in the past and this as well but this is the structure and the, the process that formed it is probably similar to this is a, a freshwater upwelling underneath here where coral couldn't grow mm. and so limestone didn't form because there was no coral here historically mm. and so this is just remained a clear spot there are actually lots of s- structures similar to this on the reef flats around Guam these are the largest ones but the shark's hole up in Lost Pond is the, is the same thing and mm. there are smaller ones all around the island this is just these are the biggest ones the, the mm. most well-known ones on Guam yeah and then you have like a full-on shaft with um, with blue hole would that have been formed the same way that's not in a marine preserve but uh, I imagine it's a similar type of that, I think that was geological that was, I think that was a different process different pro- yeah, okay because I don't know that that's yeah, I, I don't. I, I don't know. But it could be like during the ice age, you know, when sea levels were 300 feet lower, that would have been exposed, and that could have been a tunnel at that time that's now submerged. 300 feet lower, like you know, with, with climate change and everything, we talk about sea level rise and fall, and like it's that's no joke. 300 feet of sea level rise and change over. I'm I'm guessing hundreds of thousands or millions of years, something along that time scale. Uh, yeah, maybe shorter, maybe longer, um, but but still, like that, you just got to appreciate that's 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 a lot of that's a lot of things happening. That's enough to submerge. Is that enough to submerge most of the island, wouldn't it? <laughs> <laughs> a good portion of it. Uh-huh. I mean, a, a lot of where people are living is along the coast around Guam, so it, it wouldn't have to go up more than twenty feet to submerge. Mm-hmm. You know, most people's houses. Cool. All right. So yeah. Um, we're, yeah, we're here at the PD Bombholes Preserve, and we'll just stick with the official name. Um, sometimes I, you know, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a dive instructor, right, and I'm just fairly active out in the water and on the reef. And so my students or friends or people like to tell me, hey, I saw this guy fishing um, at, at, at PD, and, like, isn't that illegal because it's a preserve? And, uh, or they'll, whatever other preserve, they'll say that they catch people fishing. And so I'm like, I tell them, like, well, or I, rather I ask them, you know, how were they fishing, where were they fishing, what were they fishing with, and, and, and so on. Because as I understand it, each of the preserves have different rules for how and what you can fish for. That's correct. Uh, what, do you happen to know the, the rules for, for this for preserve? PD? Uh, yeah. For PD, it's, uh, you have to uh, basically look out for permits. So we do have a permit. Mm-hmm. And to obtain the permit, of course, you can get it from the mayor's the mayor's office or called DAR. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the, in that permit, uh, rod and reel from shore, shore is allowed. Mm-hmm. And 
you can only fish for certain fish. Okay. You know? Like, um, you can also talaza from shore for manyahak. You can catch a tulai when it's, you know, running. And um, just as long as they have a permit, we have a permit, then you have to follow those rules. Okay. And it's also different. Uh, it's the same for Atsang. Atsang is, uh, the, the, you have to have a permit. The permit has to be out for you to be able to fish. So... Mm-hmm. And usually the time for uh, the permit that's allowed, it's 5 a.m. to 7 p.m. So, oh, there's uh, time constraints. Yes. Oh, I didn't know that. So we come across and you're like, oh, we have a permit. Or there was a permit out and it's like 9.30. of like, no prim. You got to read that again. Okay. <laughs> How about spearfishing? Is spearfishing allowed in PD uh, Marine Preserve? Uh, unfortunately, not. Okay. Fortunately or unfortunately, <laughs> it's, it's not. I mean, we, can, we can skip that part. Um, yeah. <laughs> okay. So... Um, Oh, what else is there? Tekken. So people will set up, like, in the shallows, they'll set up a, a long net, maybe 100, two, 300 feet, and um, go, like, I guess, perpendicular to the current. Is, is that allowed here? In PD? Yes. Uh, absolutely not. Okay, that's exactly <laughs> what I thought and hoped for. <laughs> yeah. So you have to know in Tekken, spearfishing, and uh, it's not allowed at uh, any of our preserve. Okay, and none of them? No. Okay, cool. Oh, and also we also have paddy. So, you know, I'll go from paddy down. Okay, sure. Okay, so paddy point is in Anderson. Um, You can fish from shore. You can catch uh, anything, basically, but as long as you're on shore with rod and reel. Is there anywhere to be on shore in paddy? Anybody? Yes. uh, There is? Oh, wow. There's a lot of beach going down to... to, Okay. That's the small arms range. Okay, so I'm, I'm, I'm not, I guess I'm not that familiar. Um, oh, yeah, 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 I understand. Okay, got it, yeah. got it, got it. So um, from Paddy, the, the preserve starts from uh, Scouts Beach in Taragi, if you've ever been down there. I've been and to Taragi, I don't remember where Scouts is, though, but yes. okay. <laughs> so uh, at Taragi Beach, basically, if you're there, it starts, and then it goes around to Ano. Mm-hmm. Okay, so you can fish there. All the but way down to Ana? Yes. Wow. Yeah, so there's no, uh, from my experience, I, we did the current lieutenant, Regardia and I, before we did observe people spearfishing there. So that's a no-no. But as long as you're from shore, once again, you can catch anything. Okay. You know. Yeah, just, just I, I have a rough idea, so people who haven't heard of uh, PD Marine Preserve before or, or that area. So if you look at a map of Guam, the northernmost point, everybody knows is Retidian, right? And that's like kind of northern, northwesternmost point. And there's another point over to the right if you're looking at a map or east. That northeast point, that's called Paddy Point. And so that north face of that point and the east face of that point is, um, is one um, nice long marine preserve. Am I describing that pretty okay? Yes. <laughs> I mean, okay. they control, you know, for, they control as long as you're uh, on a 60-foot 60, 60 contour. Okay. Uh, seaward, you guys, uh, the public can troll. And then we have uh, Tuman. Uh, Tuman, the preserve starts from, okay, like where he, um, Mr. Rock used to live. Mm-hmm. So from Hilton Point, mm-hmm. uh, just right underneath the old uh, GMH, mm-hmm. um, the hospital point, and then it goes around to uh, Two Lovers Point. Is it straight out from like Two Lovers Point? The well, you can see a marker there. Okay. So just to be safe, uh, just as long as you pass Two Lovers Point, you're good to go. 
Okay. You know, and then Tengisan is a fair game. Mm-hmm. So you can in Tuman you can Talaza from shore and rod and reel from shore, but only for the four uh types of fish mm-hmm. which is uh manyahak, uh rabbit fish, mm-hmm. convict tang, kitsu, uh, yeah. Yeah, kitsu and the ee. Okay. And I'm missing one more. <laughs> Tia. Tia, okay. Yeah. And goldfish. Mm. Okay. And then also you can, you, you can talaza from the, the reef margin. Okay. It's, so I was going to ask about that. I've yes. seen people walking like on, the, yes. like on the reef and I was wondering if that was okay too. Yeah. You, you can talaza from there, but only for um, uh, sezung and kitsu. Okay. The, so we've, uh, we, we also don't, we don't only enforce the law we try to teach the guys how you know what's the rules there mm-hmm. so we do public outreach to into months so those are the just as long as it's from shore and mm-hmm. then from the reef margin as long as you're catching the right uh, type of fish you're good to go okay cool yeah thanks for that no rod and reeling from uh, the reef margin though <laughs> oh okay so okay it's a lot of from the reef margin but no rod and reel nope <laughs> Yeah, okay. I said and, and, you know, if you have any questions, you can always call us, you know, to be on the safe side. So. Yeah, they're there. That's right. <laughs> you, guys can, you guys can be called up. Anybody can call you in and just yeah. double check and just be safe, right? Um, we didn't talk about Sasa yet. Like, what, is, there, is Sasa, like, pure no-take? Or, or no-take. Just uh, no, no, no nothing? No-take. No okay. So all of the MPAs, I get them. I, you know, they all have a good amount of fish. They all have a good amount of core on something. Sasa seems like the one, the odd one out. So does anybody know what, what makes Sasa special? Why they decide to, oh, there's a shark outside the window. <laughs> if you're just listening, this is a nice one to watch. Like, I say that every episode, but um, yeah, this is definitely a nice one to watch if you're only listening. So watch it on YouTube. <laughs> Sorry, uh, Sasa, what's, uh, <laughs> what happened with Sasa? Like, what, any- Sasa Bay is the largest mangrove forest in the Marianas, and mangroves are really important as nursery areas for baby fish. You see, if you go surveys in Sasa, you'll see literally thousands of baby fish of different reef species. And they live there when they're small, there's food, there's protection for larger predators. As they get bigger, they move out onto the reef. So it's a really, really important nursery area. And, and mangroves are important nursery areas all around the world, but that's the largest area on Guam. So it is uh, protected as a nursery area. And that's why there's zero take at all. You want to allow those babies to get out to the reef where they're big enough to be eaten and to big enough to reproduce. Not that yeah, it's I not think there's even a shark nursery in there, actually. There is the hammerhead sharks, hammerheads. which are endangered species here, go into Sasa Bay to pup. We know that they go in to give birth in there. And so it, that, that wasn't known when the preserve was created, but it's a nice benefit of the preserve as well, as well as we know that sea turtles spend a lot of time in Sasa Bay as well feeding. And so it's protection for that species also. Okay. So, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Way, way more, uh, ha- way more things happening there than I guess um, if you if you didn't know, then you would expect. Yeah, and uh, are there raise, other, raise too. are there mangrove crabs in the? In yes. The, uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, oh. and they're also there. Yeah, white tail rays probably shouldn't go in there and give birth. We're looking for and that's a nursery for white tail rays as well. You see babies in amongst the mangrove roots, and then as they get bigger, they go out, and you see white tail rays in PD at a blue hole. Uh, huh? all around Guam, but that seems to be the, the favorite nursery area for them is the mangroves in Sasa Bay also. And you said hammerheads? Hammerheads, yeah. Scalloped hammerheads. We have two species of hammerheads here. Scalloped hammerheads come into Sasa Bay to pup. 
there have been hammerheads have been sighted in Sasa Bay. Babies have been seen in Sasa Bay. Babies back historically have been caught in Sasa Bay. And the Navy has been doing what's called eDNA testing, where they collect water samples and they can sample all of the DNA from anything living in that water. And they have sampled at least two individual hammerhead sharks from Sasa Bay as well. So, you know, they're still going in there and still pupping in there. Yeah, we used to see great hammerheads at uh, Hidden Reef uh, at the mouth of the harbor. Mm-hmm. And so I think there's, uh, you know, some territory, at least for... Uh, I, I, they probably don't share much territory, but <laughs> yeah, they don't school here. But th- that's the most common places they're seen or photographed is out around the mouth of the harbor, generally mm-hmm. the blue hole side or the black, uh, blue and white side. Mm-hmm. Yeah, every either, either every one, several yeah. months or so, it, it just blows up in all the, like the group chats and and dive groups and everything. It's like it's like look, we got a video, we got a picture of a hammerhead, and mm-hmm. and so yeah, it's because they 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 nurse here, they give birth here. It's, is that, do you call it that? Do you say sharks give birth, right? Is that they give birth or they pup. They pup? Baby, okay. Baby sharks are pups, so. Okay. Ooh, okay, so that's cool with Sasa. Um, lots happening there. Wow, that's a lot happening. <laughs> is, yeah, is it, there any, it doesn't look like it much. You're look, right. No, it doesn't. <laughs> right, but it's, it's, unique habit, important. it's a unique yeah. habitat on Guam, a very important habitat on Guam. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Do any of the other marine preserves have anything, uh, I guess, any special <laughs> note like that to them? Oh, all of them do. All of them, all of them uh, Monitoring of the MPEs has been going on since they were created in, you know, in 1998. And in, in, by virtue of our monitoring or uh, other people's monitoring, uh, they've been shown that they are breeding areas for dozens of species of reef fish that are reef fish that are consumed that people catch to eat. Uh, Tumon and Petey especially and Acheng. Uh, it's, it's fish are, are documented spawning regularly. Some spawn once a year. Some spawn every month. Some spawn a couple times a year. But it's it's gotten to now where uh, the species can be predicted pretty much to the day when they're going to spawn, uh, or the, at least to the moon phase when they're going to spawn. Uh, and it's in in PD, you know, dozens of species have been documented spawning in here. Tumon is very well documented with with our surveys as well as. Uh, 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 the the Julie Julie mm-hmm. doing the manta rays is documented. Document. Yeah, mm-hmm. very 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 uh, elaborate uh, documentation of fish spawning in Tumon of many many species. Mm-hmm. Uh, and again, the species that fish eat, not just not just aquarium fish species or things like that. Things like that, which is one of the primary functions of an MPA is to provide areas for fish to spawn, so that the babies, when they're carried away by currents, will settle back on the reefs of Guam where they can be caught. They act as a as a source of baby fish for other areas on Guam. One of the two most important functions of an MPA is to act as a as an egg bank or as a nursery area for the babies to spread out to other areas. Yeah, this little black tip on the cover of the book here actually um, is uh, was taken in Tumon Bay, and really it's only about nine inches long or something. What it, this yeah. shark is nine inches long? Yeah, yeah. it's just. Uh, they come out carbon copies, you know, they don't change like reef fish do, so... Uh, it looks yeah. bigger. <laughs> I thought it was bigger. I thought this was like yeah. at least two and a half feet, but yeah, that's... No, no, that was, that was taken by putting a GoPro close to the puppery, I guess you'd call it, and uh, yeah. going away for a little while and coming back and like, oh, got one, all right. Nice. So, <laughs> But they're not big at all, you know. Mm-hmm. All right. That's that's a, so they need those shallows for protection. I've seen baby eagle rays in there and... Yep. And that too, you know, it's really good that we have the preserves for it to protect the young. So, 
this is something I started saying recently and telling people and they ask about Guam, whether they're new here or they're thinking about visiting here. And I tell people, and I don't especially enjoy saying this, but I do feel like there is some accuracy to it, a good amount of accuracy. And I have to say, Guam is as awesome as it is inconvenient. <laughs> you kind of have to work for a lot of the good stuff. Like um, one time I was out, I, I won't say where, it's a, it's a secret spot, it's not, and it's not my secret to share, but like I was out somewhere and there was like five mantas just mm. kind of like circling around. Um, and, you know, people go to Palau to see that or Yap to see that, and we have it right here. We always sell ourselves short on stuff. And, and um, like, like, yeah, why don't you take it from, from there, Tim? Like, so what are like some of the cool things you see here that people travel for and... How do our MPAs compare with, I guess, non-MPAs on Guam in your, you know, decades of diving experience, you know, MPAs on Guam to non-MPAs on Guam to, you know, other dive sites in the region and so on? Yeah, it's kind of funny. And, and places get branded, uh, you know, with certain uh, qualities, too. Um, they, most of the Micronesian destinations are probably considered like big fish places. You know, you go to Blue Hole in or Blue Corner in Palau for sharks or mantas in Yap, you know, come to Guam for the shipwrecks or the blue hole. Uh, and so people don't really think beyond the box. So they think maybe for uh, little tiny macro stuff, uh, the really colorful things like the nudibranchs and uh, the shrimp, the harlequin shrimp and that kind of thing, like uh, like this one here. Mm -hmm. And uh, are the kind of things that you have to go to the Philippines or Indonesia for. Uh, but uh, actually, if you come and, uh, you know, you look, take your time and, uh, uh, and be um, uh, not looking for the exact things that you're going to see in the Philippines. Um, uh, what I mean by that is uh, we have a kind of a, a little nudibranch here called um, uh, some kind of sheep's head. I've, I a little sheep's head nudibranch. I think it's got a cartoon name for it, actually. <laughs> Something. Oh, yeah, yeah. You know what yeah, I'm talking the, the, about? Sean the Sheep. Sean the Sheep, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and it, when you take it at the right angle, it looks exactly like the cartoon character. And so uh, we have them here, but they're tiny. They're, you know, you really have to look. But the food that they like is here. Uh, you go over to some place in the Philippines, you know, they might be two inches long. They're pretty easy to get a photo of. Here you have to kind of look and kind of know the area that they hang out in. But we have it here. Mm -hmm. And... We're finding more and more of that thing where uh, Guam can become a very good macro destination for mm. the photographers I'm that like to do people, that thing. Yeah, I, I, when I teach at a house, I'm seeing a lot more people out there with these ten thousand plus dollar camera rigs. <laughs> yeah, really, with their and big like, long lenses. Like you and know, that's like that. I, that's literally more than my car. Both of my car, my, my current car, and my <laughs> last car, people drop more on that in their, in their cameras, and like they, you see some. Amazing pictures. Um, I can't remember his first name. Wolbarski. Wol Steven. 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 Yeah. 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 Like he he cranks out some amazing stuff. Um, Shane Sires, the snake guy. Shane Sears. Yeah. 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 Sears. Sires. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like yeah. There's absolutely a lot of uh, some good macro stuff. Um, yeah. He's got a website called Macronesia, and it's worth looking at because he's done. Shane. Yeah. He's okay. done videos on on that that are really interesting. Okay. And uh, and it's all tiny stuff. It's not uh, not big at all, and it's all pretty much taken in this bay, actually. So, uh, is is well worth tuning in a couple YouTube looks to uh, see what he's been doing. Mm -hmm. But uh, yeah, but that's what happens is um, you know once you give Guam a chance, it can really surprise you. You know, 
Um, I never thought Guam had any stingrays, and then I found a couple sandy areas where I can see stingrays, you know. <laughs> so you just have to kind of look around and, uh, and give the island a chance. And uh, I think that happens. Uh, we started doing a thing in Yap a few years ago called Critter Hunt. Mm -hmm. And uh, this was mostly for macro people to come down and be with a couple of the uh, Indonesian more famous uh, dive guides uh, who uh, would show the, you know, the Yappies guys what to do. And then that actually carried on into the Yappies guys. Once they knew what to look for, we didn't need the Indonesian guys anymore. And uh, they became uh, the, the guides to show people the small stuff. And we found things in the app that we never thought we'd see, like um, uh, the Harlequin ghost pipefish and the ornate ghost pipefish. And uh, I've actually seen those here at, um, uh, what do we call it, Shark's uh, Hole in our uh, uh, Shark's, shark's Pit. Like shark's Pit. Outside Hilan? Yeah, shark's Pit, like yes, uh, in, uh, you know, uh, Agate Bay. Uh, down oh, okay. uh, sure, so by a roadie. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah, down by a roadie point. And, uh, you know, nobody ever thought that those things came here, but I think they're seasonal and they seem to come up from the, the depths a couple months a year and you can look around uh, some of the crinoids and some of the different kinds of corals that are down a little deeper uh, around shark pit and uh, actually see those, you know. So uh, once you... Uh, Guam reminds me a lot of Okinawa. If you talk to somebody uh, like a Japanese dive master and say, when should I come? And they say, what do you want to see? And hmm. they have like a turtle season and a little goby season. And they've got all these different seasons, uh, uh, even like a maguro season, you know, for the dog tooth tuna and that kind of thing. Uh, they've got all these different seasons for different sites where you can be sure pretty much if you show up in Okinawa and go out to the Karama Islands, it'll be there. And I think once people start understanding Guam a little more, which is really nice that the preserves got uh, established because that followed with a lot of study. And so I think people are actually finding out how important uh, the preserves were. They were studied a lot before they were established, and now people are really seeing why those people suggested uh, these things so many years ago. Yeah, you know, I'm, I'm a thrice-over dive professional, and... I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> so, like, I, 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 you know, I always understood there's some seasonality to things, but like, man, like, this is this is a lot of new stuff for me. Is it, is this in your book? Like, do you, do you talk about like kind of? Are, are you able to some get of into it that? Some of them I'm learning myself. You okay, know? and I'm old. So. <laughs> okay, so yeah, but uh, why don't you talk about your 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 books a little bit? Uh, well, I, I did bring the or I did create these books uh, mm -hmm. mostly just as a visual, so. Uh, when people would say, well, what good are the preserves? You know, I'd say, well, there's, you know, really a lot of variety of uh, fish in here. And uh, you, you can actually kind of see uh, poor old Guam's reefs have kind of taken a hit through really no fault of their own in the last uh, seven or eight years. They've kind of become the poster child for uh, global warming and climate change, actually. And uh, we've had... Uh, some problems with um, uh, El Nino's, La Nina's, uh, kind mm -hmm. of warming periods, I'd say, um, crown of thorns infestations and all that. So about 2018, uh, David Dubelay and uh, his wife Jen from uh, National Geographic called up and said, we've been trying to get down to the Great Barrier Reef, but we've been having 
uh, trouble getting down there. Uh, we were assigned by National Geographic to cover all uh, all the coral reefs in the world and what they're doing right now. And their story came out uh, about two years ago, right? Yeah. And I said, well, you guys need to come here, you know. <laughs> and they said, well, that'd be a lot easier because we're supposed to go to the Philippines anyway. We could just hop over from the Philippines. Mm -hmm. And I said, well, come out here, talk to, uh, you know, Laurie Ramundo out at the Marine Lab who's doing some coral work. And uh, we'll go around Tumon Bay. And uh, David had been here in 2003. David who? Uh, Dubolet. Okay, okay, sorry. From National Geographic. Mm. He's one of their top guys. And uh, he uh, had a photo that was a half-half photo uh, taken in Tumon Bay, pretty much right in front of the lifeguard stand, um, where the coral, uh, uh, the staghorn coral, had was pretty much up at the surface. And mm -hmm. then you could see the three towers of uh, PIC in the background. And he wrote this nice flowery po prose about, uh, you know, you can be hear the tinkling of the wine glasses as you're making a dive on the bay, you know, and uh, <laughs> calling it a really unique marine preserve that actually has all these nice hotels and restaurants around it. And there's still so much going on within the preserve. And uh, he had done a story for a magazine and done some work for GVB back in 2003. So he shows up in 2018 and he says, I want to show this reef again and uh, do it before and after, see what this reef looks like now. We went out there for three days. We could not find that reef. It had actually uh, been affected by one of the El Ninos in about 2013. Uh, then some algae got on it and it finally weakened and collapsed and it was just a pile of rubble. And we couldn't even take a half-half shot, you know, and that's how Guam's reefs have um, had to uh, fight this stuff. So all this research that uh, a lot of guys like you, you know, <laughs> guys like all of you are doing on all the protections, you know, are just so important. And so that's why I wanted to do the books, just to kind of show, uh, you know, what the, how nice the resources were that we have here, uh, show the variety and uh, give people, you know, a visual. A lot of people page through here and go, what the heck is that? I never knew that existed. You know, like a, a good example would be um, like this little uh, leaf fish here. People, people look at this, and it's, it's actually a juvenile bat yeah. fish, I think. Yeah, take your time while you're, while you're looking for that, you know, mm -hmm. climate change, global warming, whatever you want to call it, believe it or not, you know, we've had cons many consecutive years, a handful of consecutive years, um, twice, because there was a one-year break, where we had, like, um, pretty severe bleaching on the island. We have exposed corals with low enough tides, you know, usually tied to um, El Nino or La Nina, whichever it is, and, you know, we are, we are losing coral. We have lost coral. Um, it's not all doom and gloom, though. There is hope. We have a couple of uh, nurseries on the island, coral nurseries. One of them is right here in this um, um, preserve. So um, people are doing things. People are taking action. And it, it's up to us to, you know, observe the rules, not step on the coral, um, and do whatever we can to not abuse our natural resources that, you know, we love and depend on. People love fish. We love reef fish. Um, and it's important we take care of their home so that they continue to populate, you know, their home and, and you know, keep feeding us and, and, and keep coming around. Uh, did you find what you were looking for? I did. And uh, I was just saying, you know, something like this little bat fish here. Mm -hmm. It just looks like, uh, 
looks like a leaf more yeah. than anything. Right? I've seen those. And people page through here and go, what the heck is that? That's really a fish? And I go, yeah, that's a, that's a baby fish. And they float around like that. They look like a real leaf, actually, you know, and that's how they defend themselves when they're young. But that was really the emphasis behind getting uh, these books going. Mm. And uh, IP&E Shell was very good at getting it. When we got it started, they actually uh, gave me some sponsorship money. We did a Kickstarter campaign, and a lot of people... Uh, we're really enthusiastic about, oh, good, we're finally going to have a book about our marine preserves. Um, uh, GVB actually was really uh, helpful. So, you know, I found that the community really cares about the marine preserves, which was very nice to uh, to find out that I wasn't, uh, you know, on my own. On that's how I feel about everything all the time. <laughs> Am I the only one that's doing this or cares about this or, like, does nobody notice this? And, um, yeah, Cheyenne, I'd like to pivot back to you for a little bit. Like, um, but, like, yeah, Tim, you, um, you mentioned, like, you said you didn't think we had any rays here, and I instantly lit up inside because I remember when I was doing my advanced open water certification with a scuba, scuba mentor of mine, uh, Luis Cabral, used to teach at Sanchez um, High School, and uh, we were doing open water certification. We went outside Aston Cut, where it, um, which is not in the preserve, um, but that's okay. I still love that place too, of course. And uh, we made it out. We navigated out through all like the pillars and mounds of coral and just out into open water. And just right there to greet us was like five stingrays just kind of laying around in the oh, sand, wow. just hanging out, and like six black tips just kind of like just chilling around in a circle and it was just like one of the most magical you know times of not just my diving life but my life period just to see like that something that awesome um and, and you know just right here at home under my right under my nose is born and raised like Chamorro local like like on, here on Guam and not know that we have that kind of stuff here um, and that said um, pivoting to the enforcement, I, I do seem to recall an article, and correct me if I'm wrong, where one of the, there was a grocery store or something here that were selling some kind of stingray or skate or something like that. I think there was a, the, there, I don't want to say there was an arrest, but they confiscated the rest of their stock. I, and, I saw one time. Does that sound familiar? It was either that or at one of the flea markets where they were selling a baby eagle ray or something like okay. that. Yeah. I haven't heard about that. You haven't heard that one? Okay. <laughs> yeah, oh, that, yeah, that did yeah. a store brought in. Ray part. It's against the law to sell anything made of stingray or stingrays on Guam. Okay. And a store brought in boxes of material that was skate tissue, but it was marked as Ray parts, mm. and so it was seized because that is against Guam law. And there were there were, you know, a couple hundred pounds of of skate parts that came in, and they were confiscated. Uh, they went through the the legal process, and eventually the 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 skate tissue was disposed of. It was. That they would give it to the zoo to feed to the animals mm-hmm. there or something like that. But yeah, it is illegal. People have been seen at the flea market selling small stingrays and small eagle rays as well. It oh, is wow. illegal to do, yeah. So it's not illegal to catch them and eat them. You can do that. You just can't sell them. You can't commercialize them. Is that the same as octopus? Octopus. You can't sell invertebrates mm-hmm. at all. You can, oh, you okay. can catch them, but you can't sell invertebrates. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I, and uh, I guess, Cheyenne, is there... Have you ever had to arrest anybody, um, or been a, or been part of an arrest or anything like that yet? Or yes, of <laughs> yeah? course. Okay, I don't, I don't know. <laughs> Just like everywhere else, we have people that follow uh, the law and people that break the laws. You know, so like uh, for example, in Tumon, uh, I've experienced there just coming up, just coming up a person and just talking to them. And I also have a, like a depth core background, so I you know. I'm read. sorry. What is that? I was a corrections officer. Okay. Uh-huh. So for eight years, I did that. 
And uh, when you're talking to an individual, you know, you can read them a little. So I just came up to a guy and said, he looks suspicious. And he was, so, <laughs> you know, uh, just straight out told him that. And he became nervous. So his friend or brother-in-law was in Gun Beach. He was uh, spearfishing. So, yeah, it's they do it mostly at night, you know, and um, they that's when it happens. So that's my encounter with them. Or I come across in daytime, I just talk to people in the shoreline, people to Tlaza, people to Rotten Rill. You know, sometimes it's a good conversation. Sometimes they're rude. So um, it depends. If they're really acting suspicious, then, of course, you're doing something wrong if you're being rude and, you know, understand. But at the same time, we're still doing our job. We have to check. Mm-hmm. But most of the time, um, we just... If if there it's either they have no catch and we just do uh, public outreach, and if they do have a catch and it's the wrong type of catch, then you know just to be fair, we have to do our job. Mm-hmm. And there's good and bad. Yeah. So yes, we encounter a lot. I, I I see it in the in in the in the newspaper sometimes. There's a picture and like. Of their catch. everybody, the, the, their entire catch, and it's like I don't know, it's on the on the floor or something, and mm-hmm. there's like a, a slate that you know explains like details of the uh, of the take and, and 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 so on. And so, how how often does that happen? How often is somebody uh, is anybody ever arrested? By yes. the way, are yes. people are fully arrested? Do yes. they have jail time for? Um, it's a misdemeanor charge right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, and that's for fishing. But sometimes we, you know. Occasionally, we come across an individual when we're talking to them, or you know, just something else that pop up. So, like, um, obviously, like if you see a person something that's not supposed to be there, you know, plain view, then it escalates. The, we arrest them, and they're confined, depending on what we find. And it's not only fish, but like controlled substance. That's what I talking about um most of the time is book and release um yep that's is, is that to do with the nature of the crime or the or the uh, prison being full or or um when they're book and release uh well they go through the process first uh, we go to gpd we process on our end we go to gpd gpd checks if they they have any warrants and if they do they get confined so but if they're first time arresting no no prior or you know no warrants they get released and they go to court at a later date so okay i don't know if you're allowed but is there a particularly like interesting like arrest story or 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 a situation you responded to that, that you like to share that if you're allowed? The, uh, actually since i just uh since coming back they w- that was my favorite it was coming up to a person and, and telling them why you look so suspicious, you know? <laughs> <laughs> and then after, after speaking to that guy, an individual, a male individual came up to me and he was a, you know, um, a, a, a prior, well, how do I say this? Someone that I met in jail, so. Oh, yeah. okay. From your history as a, uh, or your experience as a... Uh, uh, as correction a, officer, correction yes. Correction officer, okay. But it was good because uh, at the same time I met him, I'm not, we're not there to stop you. We just want you to follow the rules. So uh-huh. I was asking him questions and he came out with the, you know, he answered everything right. So he's good to go. Okay. But the other guy, he was, that, so that was the most interesting thing is just coming up to an individual and saying he looks so suspicious and 
Lo and behold, his brother-in-law had fish. So he was the lookout. Oh, okay. Yeah, so and, he went straight to the lookout. Yeah, he was a. Uh, in a very good lookout way. Yeah. <laughs> no, he <laughs> wasn't really. So. <laughs> and he had uh, the brother-in-law when uh, finally when we met him, he had lots of fish. I mean, wow. um, yeah. So mm. they had tataga, uh, different types of fish. You know, so the marine preserve does work. Mm-hmm. You know, so I and I would tell them you could have just gone to Tengisan. You know, Tengisan. Mm-hmm. Just yeah, I see people just fishing over in Assen, and it's just, you know, it's you right just there. go right to the border yeah. and catch uh-huh. some good fish. <laughs> so, oh, I, I forgot what I was going to say. But uh, I was going to ask you, that you can take their truck and everything, can't yes. you? Uh, yes, I mean, we confiscate everything, actually. It's not just um, like taking their spear away or something. Yeah, yeah right? I tried to see if I could get kayaks from you guys, because <laughs> he's confiscating kayaks. <laughs> I didn't get them. Um. <laughs> Yeah, that's a process. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah, uh, you know, on the note of you know, as a lay person, I'm gonna, I guess, I'm gonna speak on behalf of a lot of people here, because, um, you know, as a lay person, and me being me in particular, I feel like I look suspicious just in general, <laughs> just because I'm so loud and everything. Yeah. And so, like, if I see law enforcement around, I just instantly assume I'm doing something wrong. <laughs> so, well, that, that, we're why. not here for that. I we're know, not here to intimidate you. But I'm, 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 I'm just, uh, I don't know. It feels like, you know, like I feel like I'm eight years old and my, my mom's around and I'm like, oh, like I'm, I'm usually doing something I'm not, or if I'm doing something I'm not supposed to do, I feel like, oh, my, what am I doing wrong? And I'm not actually doing anything wrong, but yeah. I still feel that way. <laughs> so. Well, we were, we're I, I think we're friendly people, so... Uh-huh. Uh, you are. Um, yeah, I, I, had, I had a class at, at EPAL, uh, also a marine preserve, and uh, it was a shallow day, um, free diving class. And there was a, a bunch of you guys, a bunch of you uh, COs just on the beach, just kind of just chilling around and looking in my general direction. And like, oh, man, like, I have no idea if I'm doing anything wrong or what I'm doing. And then as soon as I kind of like stopped talking to my students or whatever, um, uh, Nate Rios, I don't know his title. He's one of your uh, one of your fellows, a conservation officer. He's like, "Hey, Farron." I'm like, "Oh, hey." <laughs> and I'm like, "Okay, we're cool." See? <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, we get um, you know, we're not there to um, harass anybody. We're mm-hmm. just there, just you know, to observe and make sure people are safe too, and to educate because some people don't know. Like the incident is, I don't see no signs here. You know, and and I will ask, how long have you been living here? And they'll be like twenty something years. And there you go. You know, <laughs> so people have to know, and we're always out there. So if you have any questions, you can just come up to us. Mm-hmm. Simple. Cool. Um, so you you said something, and I guess from a law enforcement perspective, you said MPAs work, and mm-hmm. you know, I I agree. I I think. I don't think I don't know if I agree enough in that. Do you do you have enough people to do the job? We, I know we don't have enough regular police officers. Do we have enough regular conserva- or Do we have enough uh, conservation officers? Actually, uh, we are very short. You're very you short. Know, there's only uh, full time. There, there's only like six of us. Six. Yes. For the entire island. Yes. What should it be? Uh, I would say like 20, 20, (laughs) you know, but uh, it depends. I'm not the ones doing the budget or, you know, that's not my part. Okay. okay. But we are short on manpower. Uh, Six for 24-hour, seven-day-a-week operations, about six people. Like I I used to work in a front desk, which was a 24-hour operation, and we had more than six staff covering that desk. So, (laughs) like, that's insanity. Wow. And for the whole island. 
Yeah, so we're short. Uh, we have the CivCorps, the part-time conservation officers, so they help too. Um, but most of the time, it's the um, full-time employees that's on shift. So, yeah, we need help. Oh. Help. Okay. Well, uh, yeah, yeah, if anybody... I think uh, Palau does have 100 uh, conservation officers 100? down there. Wow. Yeah. Well, well, they're rangers and everything. The, yeah. I mean, it's a much bigger place. The archipelago is 100 miles long. Mm -hmm. you know, but, uh, and they can't you know, drive you, everywhere. Inter-island yeah. travel is by boat, too. Um, but, yeah, still, uh, yeah. We, need, we definitely need more, for sure. I mean, in comparison, yeah, you could okay. use at least 30 or 40 more. Huh? Okay. So. Of us? Yes. Yeah. That would be nice. Yeah. Um, yeah. Brent, from um, a biological, ecological perspective, do the MPAs work? Are they working? This seems to be. I mean, the whole point of the MPAs being created was to improve fishing on Guam. You know, if you made the whole island an MPA fish population, what? It's great, to improve fishing? But it's, it's not it's, to, like, take our fishing rights away? No, it's to improve <laughs> fishing. If you made the whole island an MPA, fish stocks would go way up, but that's, you'd lose the culture of fishing on Guam, which is extremely important. So part of the law that created the MPAs mandated that we monitor the MPAs and then report back to the legislature the results of our monitoring. And if they were shown to be doing what they were designed to improve fish stocks and fishing, they would be kept. If they could not be shown to be doing that, they would be gotten rid of. And two years after they were created, we went back to the legislature with the results of two years of monitoring. Uh, there was improvements in the number of fish, in the number of species of fish, and in the average size of fish across the board in all the MPAs compared to control sites. We, we monitor sites outside of the MPAs to see if what we're detecting is a result of an MPA or if it's just a result of an island-wide increase in fish or decrease in fish. And we do have results that show that things that are in the MPA are significantly different than things that are happening outside the MPA. So it's, it's a strong indication that the MPAs are doing what they're designed. And we're, monitoring goes on today. We, we go out you know, we do dozens of surveys every year still in the MPAs and the control sites to make sure that they are still doing what they were designed to do. Sorry, surveys? Like, are you going around looking? Or are you talking to fishermen or fishers? Or? No, we, we get in the water. We do uh, different types of transects to count fish. Uh, we count, species again, species. We look at sizes of fish, and we look at a uh, number of, just number of fish in general. And we primarily focus on fish that people eat and fish that are indicators of coral reef health, like butterfly fish and angel fish and things that require healthy coral to be there. And those are the fish that we document. And we've been, again, we've been doing that since 1998. We had a stretch in the 2000s where we stopped doing it, but we started up again in the 2010s, and it's going on currently now. And it happens every year. We go out and monitor the MPAs and the control sites. And then at the end of the year, we look at the data we've collected to see if there still are differences between and if the differences are significant and if there are changes in our results now from changes in the results we got 20 years ago, something like that. Mm -hmm. uh, the last couple of years have been a little bit of a, an interesting situation because of COVID and the number of people weighed down in the water. It looks like fish numbers have come up everywhere. It's too soon to say if that's a benefit of the MPAs or if it's just a, an effect of COVID. You know, maybe another five years of monitoring when, when tourism gets back to normal and, and use in the water gets back to normal, we'll see if that was just a temporary bump that could be associated with COVID or if it's a long-term effect from the marine preserves. So like the, the person and the normal person in me is like, that feels like common sense. There's nobody there. People, the, 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 the fish come out. So right. 
I, I don't know. Right. But yeah, but it's too <laughs> soon to say if that's an effect of the preserves because mm -hmm. it's just we're still we're still feeling the effects of COVID on tourism and, and use in the water. Mm -hmm. You know, we have to have several years to look back on that and say, oh yeah, that bump was because of COVID and nobody in the water. Or we can say it rose and is maintained for the next five years. That's probably a result of the marine preserves. It's too soon to say yet, but we'll keep monitoring and see what we can detect. So, I, I have simultaneous reactions to that, like two, two, like two totally different reactions. One is like, you know, I appreciate that kind of scientific rigor and approach to just not assume you know what's going on, you know, wait, get data and just, and just double check, double check as much as you can. And the other side of me is like, come on, like, we, it's got to be true. We know it's just true. Can we just say it's just true? <laughs> we can just yeah. say it's true, like the evidence of our eyes, but yeah. like, I guess no, that's what science you, is for, yes? Exactly. You get too eager <laughs> and you get yourself into trouble when something comes up to show you're wrong in that assumption. So it's mm -hmm. best to be conservative and cautious and look when you're much more confident and you have several years worth of data to back up your, your opinion, your statement on it. And that's what we're in the process of collecting now. Cool. Yeah. Oh, yeah. We, we, we guys, we have another uh, five or so minutes of recording. So if there's anything you've been trying to wanted to get out and we didn't get uh, get to talk about it yet, you know, uh, please uh, speak up. Uh. One thing I wanted to comment on, you brought it up earlier about how the, the MPs now are kind of more of a, a Western thing and not there's not a lot of indigenous input in them. The, the permits that Cheyenne was talking about, we issue a permit to the PDMPA or an issue a permit to the Aceng MPA. That permit is only only issued by request of the mayor. So the highest ranking civic person in those villages decides if we're going to open them up for those fish or not. That's not our decision. Hmm. It's the mayor of those villages' decision. So if those fish aren't running or the mayor doesn't want people fishing for them, we don't issue a permit because the mayor doesn't request it. But if they are running and the mayor wants people to be able to fish for them, they put in a request and we issue a permit at that time. So the power for that that aspect of fishing in the preserves is completely up to the local elected official. I did it's not know that. That's really cool. It's not our decision at all. That's something approximating like a chief of a village. Exactly. Yeah, that's right. really cool. Exactly. That's the Western version of allowing a chief to make the decision. Right. Okay, cool. Yeah, anything else you, um, we didn't get to talk about that you, that you wanted to? <laughs> Uh, one thing that, that uh, kind of Tim had mentioned earlier also about uh, Guam being a dive destination is we have several animals in here that are not found anywhere else in the world but on Guam. And so like what? If really? Somebody, we have a, a shepherd's angelfish. It's pretty much only found here up to, up to the Ryukyu Islands, but this is the only place it's really found commonly at diving depths. Hmm. And so if people want to see that, they come here. There's a damselfish here, the Guam damselfish. It's only found here to Saipan and nowhere else. If you want to see it, you have to come to Guam pretty much to see that. There are several nudibranchs that have only been found on Guam and nowhere else, and some crabs as well that are only mm -hmm. found from Guam and nowhere else. So if you want to work on a life list of something that's kind of exclusive, uh, Guam's a good place to go because we have a lot of endemic things that are not found anywhere except in Guam or at least not found at easily accessible depths except on Guam. Cool, yeah, maybe I can work mm -hmm. with you guys um, to get some pictures or videos just to layer it on top of this for people watching so they can see oh, sure. yeah. stuff we yeah. only have here on Guam or here in the Marianas. Like, yeah. that is so awesome. I did not know we had any of those that's endemic uh, um, marine species. Cool. Yes. Um, Cheyenne, uh, anything else that you wanted to do you, or you wanted to talk about we didn't get to talk about yet or you feel pretty good? Or? Yeah, I feel good. Feel good? Like I said, if they have any questions, they can always call us. Okay. Doesn't hurt. What's your? Do you have a particular number, or we can shut out the Toka hotline too? Yeah, you can uh, call the Toka hotline or call our office. Uh, it's three hundred zero seven six zero. Three hundred zero seven. Sorry, say again. 
300-0760. Okay. That's the conservation office if you guys have any questions. Yeah, and also you can report uh, violations uh, to 864-TOKA, T-O-K-A. I don't know what the numbers are. 864-TOKA. <laughs> Use your phone. <laughs> um, all right, cool. Tim, anything else you wanted to uh, talk about? Or might we want to just do a shout-out for, uh, for Fisheye and your, um, your store upstairs? <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, what I wanted to uh, say is uh, the reason, just to wrap up the reason I did these books, is if you're standing on the shore and you look out at the ocean, it looks pretty much like it did. I got here in 81. It hadn't changed that much. It looks beautiful. It's wonderful. But there's just a lot going on under the ocean. Mm -hmm. And uh, some of it's good. Some of it's not so good for the reef and the fish life. So it's really wonderful, I think, that we have the preserves and that people are taking care of them and, uh, you know, doing different kinds of work in them, you know, from the coral work uh, I think you're involved in actually, mm -hmm. and uh, the monitoring and uh, also the conservation officer uh, approach, you know, to make sure that uh, people uh, don't take the people's resources away from them, yeah. which I think is a wonderful uh, way to watch over things. Uh, and that kind of is the reason I did the books, and if you would like to have a look through one, it's on Amazon.com under Hidden Treasures, Guam's Marine Preserves. You can get them as a Kindle book or as, uh, it's also on Apple uh, for, as an EPUB, and then you can get a print, print book on Amazon as well. So mm -hmm. that's my little plug there. But um, I've been involved with Fisheye for a number of years. And, uh, the yeah, you had your store in the visitor the, center across the street. For even before that, uh, doing books for them, they did a lot of educational books when they first opened up. They spent about a million dollars to move coral heads out of the way to put this uh, uh, observatory in its place and then actually move the coral heads back to where they came from just so it wouldn't disrupt the natural layout of the uh, place. They've uh, kind of since day one uh, been very, uh, you know, having a healthy environment here is extremely important to them, uh, you know, both uh, uh, from a uh, you know, conservation point of view, which they uh, have always shepherded uh, conservation point of view. And also it may, just makes good business sense. You know, if everything's dead here, nobody's going to come <laughs> to yeah, the observatory. Like fairly neutral operations. Like you're literally like, there's no opportunity for you to step on the coral in here. <laughs> right. <laughs> and you can bring like kids, you can bring babies in here and like, you know, and they can still yeah. appreciate it without uh, anything see, else. You can see balance. a wild shark. Uh, yeah. you know. There's just sharks circling. I hope people can see that on the camera. We're just literally being circled by sharks this whole episode. <laughs> but yeah, I've always, I've just always appreciated their attitude and the general manager here. As you, as you know, is a free diver and gets in the water a lot. And Four minute breath hold. He's one of my students. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, you know, so he is—he's not just here to do business. He actually has made Guam his home, and he really loves uh, this area. And so I've always appreciated Fisheye for that. So uh, I am uh, happy to see that they've kept that attitude uh, over the years. And. Uh, you know, it'd be nice if a lot of businesses would uh, adopt a reef or something like that. It'd be kind of nice to uh, uh, see businesses get involved. And uh, uh, I don't know how you go about doing that. That's probably a whole nother show. But uh. yeah, I mean, like, uh, I'll, okay, I'll take thirty seconds to say this. So, like, 
I've, uh, I'm a paddy dive instructor, and there's a really cool thing in the paddy system where like paddy instructors can basically make up their own classes. Sometimes they're kind of silly, sometimes they're really serious. Um, I made up one that's pretty serious. So we were talking about crown of thorns earlier being a major issue because they eat coral. So I've created a course to teach volunteer scuba divers how to go out and hunt um, crown of thorns um, we give them a lethal injection just to protect the coral and um, you know and I've been working with Department of Agriculture and I actually have permits for that so I can do that here in marine preserves as mm-hmm. well um, with with my students and the volunteer divers that I'll be training and so um, I'm not gonna I'm not trying to make bank on it or anything it's just something just to help the reefs that you know people can do um, and volunteer divers will be able to do it's very hard to become a, a let's say a scientist scientific diver, um, but anybody can get their advanced open water and, any, and, and, and so on. So I was tapping into the dive community here to do some helping out. It's not exactly adopting a reef, but it, it's, it's some way that I can use my, my, one of my uh, credentials to give back and to help. Yeah, um, that's yeah. great. It's really good to get the public involved, you know, that it becomes their reef. And so, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. yeah, I think cool. that's great. Yeah, thanks. Well, yeah, I'd like to uh, thank my guests for joining me, uh, Tim Rock, uh, Cheyenne. I'm sorry, I don't got your last name. The conservation officer, Officer Cheyenne. <laughs> and, uh, Irene Chetta. Irene Chetta, thank you. And um, Brent, uh, biologist, uh, Brent Tibbetts, thank you guys for joining me. I'd also especially like to thank Fisheye for hosting us and allowing us to do this incredibly awesome, really cool shoot um, under an underwater <laughs> observatory. It's just so cool to say that out loud. You know, we shot a podcast underwater in the Fisheye Observatory. Um, so uh, thank you, Fisheye. Thank you to my guests. And thank you, listeners and watchers, for tuning in. Yes, that made sense. Goodbye. <laughs> <laughs>